You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That's Breads and Spreads by Fred. Guys, go ahead and treat yourself because you deserve it to some delicious baked goods. Head on over to FredsBS.com. Check out their menu. They've got brownies and blondies and jams. It's such a good time. And if you want to go ahead and make an order, go ahead and email the account listed in the description below and include the phrase no love lost in the subject line and you'll get 20% off of your order. So once again, head on over to fredsbs.com, look at their menu, send Fred an email and get yourself some delicious cookies and stuff. It's really good. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network and get yourself some No Love Lost merchandise, like No Love Lost t-shirts and Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. And guys, if you haven't already done so, go to iTunes, rate, subscribe, and leave a comment. We love hearing from you. You guys are the absolute best. We can't thank you guys enough for listening to our show and for supporting our podcast in all the ways that you do. We can't say thank you enough, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Now, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island I would like to see the polar bears there was a crash and there are others and there are numbers and it all means something supposed to but even though there are times we hang our heads in sadness we know there's no love lost we have to go back debatable i mean we could call off this whole podcast right now that's an option why didn't you ever tell me wait 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 has there been a fail safe to this podcast the whole goddamn time welcome back to no love lost the podcast where we debate <laughs> the greatest television series of all time is it merely great or is it the greatest i say it's the greatest Megan says it's merely great. I have a different opinion. <laughs> um, today we are going to be breaking down the two-part season finale of season two, episodes 23 and 24, Live Together, Die Alone. I've heard that before. Where yeah, did somebody I hear said that? that. And Megan, <laughs> uh, we are not alone today no not today Would not you at all like to introduce our guests sure uh guys joining us is a friend of the show and a friend of ours writer and podcaster zach wilson hey guys thanks for having me i'm thanks so ready to nerd out about this. <laughs> thanks for coming thanks on for joining us we've actually been wanting to have you on the podcast for a long time but like we've had to wait because you wanted an episode about a very specific character yeah i I love Desmond. He's my favorite character on this show. Or at least my favorite, like, of, like, not the primary cast. People kind of came in yeah. later. and But he any episode he's in, I got more excited. I was like, oh, Desmond's here. Great. This is going to be a fun one. Well, it's, it's funny because he's not... Because I would agree with you when you think of him. He's not a pri quote-unquote primary character. But... He's also the main <laughs> character in what people consider the greatest episode of Lost yes. for the most part, the constant. So it's kind of, 
it's kind of, he he's such an important character in Lost lore. What is it about him that that you are drawn to? I think it's because it, 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 some of it comes down to the concept, but I think like rewatching these episodes, I realized that like this was the episode that changed the show for me into the way into what it was going why i fell in love with it because this these two episodes are where lost shifted from like a kind of fantasy drama about this like mystical island to a sci-fi show this was when it became science fiction yeah because it introduced the like electromagnetism and it's it took you away from like me, this is where they were like, this is not purgatory, guys. Shut up. Because yeah. <laughs> we're undermining that later. Well, uh, it doesn't matter. Come on, no, Megan. It doesn't, <laughs> it, the, the island was never purgatory. And we're really going to be getting into this in a, when we get to season six. But the island was never purgatory. But you're right. Like this is except where... maybe for episodes one through eight before they sat down and were like, "We got to figure out what we're doing." We here. To, yeah, we have to decide if this is purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> but it, um, uh, you're right. This does start to change. I would feel like season five is when it like quadrupled downs on oh the, yeah on the science fiction <laughs> element of it. But yeah, this one. Well, their finales were always game changers i would argue season three maybe being the biggest finale game changer because suddenly we had the flash forwards and we got into a hole yeah but but um yeah and and the final shot of this is a game changer because the final shot of this episode is the first time in like the present we're seeing off island yeah yeah what was the last shot penny penny oh yeah 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 yeah. uh so it's like yeah it's this isn't purgatory because now we're outside of our world we're outside of our island world which was interesting too because we'll dig into it but at some point very early in the episode desmond sets up the idea that they're in a snow globe which kind of like maybe a a wink and a nod to the purgatory theory that was going around at the time and then the end of the episode basically dispels that also a wink and a nod to uh (laughs) <laughs> the show Saint Elsewhere, <laughs> right? Then I mean, I mean, it it kind of had to have been conscious when they're like Snow Globe. Oh, there was a whole series that was just a a fantasy that an autistic child was having about a snow globe. Well, because <laughs> everyone was worried that's what it was gonna be. Yeah, because I literally was talking to somebody yesterday about Lost because I was bringing it because I told them what I was doing today and. They, they haven't watched the show, and they're like, doesn't it end and it's all somebody's dream? It's like, no. That was, and they remembered where that, they, they thought that because of 30 Rock. <laughs> it was all, it was all a, a, a fantasy Radinsky had in the moments before he killed himself. It was all in the five seconds before he pulled the trigger. A character who we hear about in this episode, but won't meet until season five. The, uh, <laughs> I, I, I do love the, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge as like a trope in general of like, it all takes place right before a character dies. I do love that as a trope. I'm really glad that's not the way the show went down. I think everyone would have been really mad, but talking before, before we talk about the end, um, let's talk about the beginning a little bit because Zach, we, we both have stories about how we got into the show in the first place. How did you get into Lost? Oh, this is actually a funny, st- fun story. 
I had I watched season two before I ever saw season one. What? Crazy. <laughs> I was a freshman in college, and I really liked this girl that was in the dorm next to me. <laughs> And she and she and like a bunch of people were gonna watch Lost. So I was like, okay, I'll watch this with you guys. And then I got hooked on it. But like, it wasn't as easy to just go watch the first season of a show at the time. You just sort of had to go with it. Yeah. So I didn't see season one for years. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of setup there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, so that maybe the, that's the other reason that I really like Desmond is the first episode of season two was the first episode of Lost that I ever saw. Wow! So you're like he's the main character. <laughs> well, he oh, disappears immediately. Season one must have been about this guy living in a hatch. <laughs> um, it, and it's so funny because season two, and I talked about this when we when we did the premiere of season two. I had. I had moved out here to uh, uh, Los Angeles in between season one and season two. And I used to watch it with my family, like season one. Like, we all would get together and watch it. And I had no one to watch this episode with. I hadn't made, like, lost friends or anything. Yeah. I hadn't, and I remember when the beginning of that episode, and we see, oh, there's a guy down in that hatch. The second it hit to the commercial, I walk out of my room and I started going on to my roommate who had no idea what I'm like talking about. I'm like, you don't understand what a big deal. I'm like, my mind is blown. Like, what? this is such a big, crazy thing. And he didn't quite understand. But it's funny, like, this thing that blew me away was probably just like, okay, this is what for you. Like, okay, this is what we're watching. I, well, I mean, it was, it was like, this is cool. I'm not quite sure what's happening here, but it's cool. I'm intrigued. And this is also sort of like the beauty of it. Be, it was network TV in 2005 which they had to design it so that you could jump in at least yeah. a little bit. So it wasn't that they were still like saying people's names in the beginnings of that season. <laughs> so like, so I was like, okay, I'm following this. And I yeah. got, I got enough clearly yeah. that I was able to stick around with it. But then they'll like mention like Boone and everything. And I'm just and like, like, who? Who's Boone? <laughs> yeah. That was the weird thing going back and rewatching season one the, for when I finally did the first time. Like, oh, who Boone's are like these a, guys? Boone's like an important character. <laughs> it's also, it's nice you get a payoff to, you got the payoff to all the daddy issues before the daddy issues were fully introduced. So there's that. You get to see how these relationships panned out. Yeah, I mean, and there was also just like then the next time when I watched the whole show again from the beginning, I was like, oh, this flows more. <laughs> but to be fair, watching Lost did get me my first girlfriend. So hey, so it was all together. It was all worth it. It was all faded. I had there were some numbers involved. <laughs> That's why I always, you know, be jump into a new show. You know? You so, never know where it leads So, you. well, you got to watch The Witcher is what I'm telling uh, you. I'm, I'm, I'm in, and I've talked about this on the podcast too, I'm in a place where I'm trying not to take on many new shows because, well, you know. There's how, no time. There's no time, and life is a nightmare. <laughs> so it's it's hard to, like, I'm already, I'm already devoting, like, like, 40 hours of my week to television. I can't devote 41. Yeah, but The Witcher's great. <laughs> but the, uh, e like, I, I'm the heel of this podcast or whatever, but even I can admit that, like, that's the fun of any TV show. Whether you love it or you hate it, if it brings people together at the end of the day, you have to give it credit for that. And that's a, that's why Lost is, was such a great show, especially when it was airing, because it was... 
you had to talk about it. Yeah. There was so much going on. <laughs> and, and that is something we've lost a little bit uh, as a society. Um, uh, you know, we talked about how when Game of Thrones was ending, like, is this the last, like, water cooler show? Is this the last time that everybody's on the same page? I think what Disney did really yeah. smartly with The Mandalorian is that they released it week to week because people talked about it. Buzz Bill, I, you know, I like Stranger Things. You know, I, I just, last weekend I watched all of the final season of BoJack Horseman. I can't talk to anybody about this <laughs> because everybody's like, oh, I've only seen two episodes so far. People are moving at their own pace. And quite frankly, by the time they're done with it, I'll have moved on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, binging is, binge, we, I do think we lose something with binging. We do, and dis but like thankfully Disney Plus is going is like forcing the the old model on us because they're they've committed to doing that for all of their scripted series, yeah. most of their non scripted series too. It's just like they're going to do weekly releases because it keeps subscribers around for that's, longer. That's <laughs> true, but I also remember the show better. Yeah, when it's because there are like. We get to dissect it. You're like, what's going on with this baby? <laughs> what's the story with the baby? <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. Well, that's. I also always bring up the example of Breaking Bad being a show that, in the Breaking Bad spoilers, if you haven't watched, um, there's an episode towards the end where there's a showdown in the desert and his DEA agent brother-in-law is there and they're in this this gunfight and it just ends in the middle of this gunfight and he's like holy shit like what's gonna happen but i'm like well hank is dead there's no way hank's living and i had a full week to talk to people and convince myself hank can get out of this and here's how <laughs> and then the next episode starts and guess who dies almost immediately <laughs> but i loved having that week to talk yeah. to people and kind of think about things and come up with these theories and then the inevitable happened but still it was we have lost something uh, uh, nowadays. Yeah. We did. We lost it. Uh, <laughs> but, like, this this episode, to bring it back to the episode, how many hours did you spend talking about the fact that that foot only had four toes? <laughs> yes. Probably, t in fairness to a point Megan would probably bring up, I probably talked about it a lot longer than necessary. <laughs> and <laughs> of all of the mysteries... That was the like the four toes was the one that was like that didn't really have a satisfying answer at the end of it. Like we were kind of all right about the like origins of the statue, but the four toes was just sort of like a yeah, yeah because so, it was just like an. Uh, but the fact that Saeed was so unsettled by it made me unsettled. What? Yeah. Uh, well, what is it? A Simpsons character yeah. with only four digits? Like I guess. Gods don't need pinky toes? I don't know. I don't know, man. Um, but I guess that, like, uh, before we get too far into talking about the ending, spoiler alert for if this happens to be, for whatever reason, your first episode of it's our podcast. It's the big fan of sex and you yeah. want to tune in. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, like, guys, spoiler alert, we are definitely going to be talking about the end of the show. Now, having given that spoiler alert, the whole kind of crux of this podcast, Zach, is... Will loves Lost unconditionally, and I don't. And 
a big part of that is the way it ended. So we have to ask every guest that we bring on the podcast, what is your take on the ending? I love the ending. Thank you. It gets way too much hate. Like, it gets so much hate from people who clearly weren't watching the whole time, so they didn't understand what was going on. Um, And, like, here's the thing. I will say I understand some people's frustrations, but the epilogue, I think, corrects a lot of that, like, where people were like, but they never explained this. It was like, well, go watch this 10-minute epilogue that they made, and that's going to give you most of the answers you wanted so desperately. It, they, they well no, they, know, they do kind of explain the bird i i we got because that episode came up in this season i was just watching it i'm like yeah that was an uh, that was an unsatisfying answer that it yeah. like just happens to make a noise that kind of sounds like hurley <laughs> that's one of the ones i think that they like they put in this mystery and they might have had an idea and whatever reason it just like didn't work down the line oh, and they're just like look uh well we can't like or it's just jacob fucking with us <laughs> which is a big by the end of the series because it's a big catch-all and a rewatch I, I find myself saying to megan like well it's just like jacob's will <laughs> and i'm like jacob's clearly an asshole then <laughs> Well, well, he's God, so yeah. <laughs> well, let's, you know, we should get into the episode proper now. And who are those geniuses who put in the Hurley Bird? Well, this episode was written by Cues uh, and Lindelof. Ah. And it was directed by Jack Bender. So we've got all, like, the lost greats coming together for this two-part finale. I was excited when I saw Jack Bender's name as the director. I was like, ooh, this is going to be a fun one. So we always like to start off kind of and get the the flashback out of the way first. Um, so let's talk about your boy Desmond. Because <laughs> we start off and he is getting out of a military prison. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten this. And I forgot that like we don't know yet all of his like religious backstory yeah like yeah that he like goes to live with monks to become a monk there. or whatever yeah. yeah um but he has uh very few belongings with him he's got a photo of penny and he's got a charles dickens book our mutual friend it's the only work of dickens he's never read and he's saving it to read to be the last thing he reads and you know what god bless him if he can time that out right <laughs> you know i was gonna say have either of you read that particular book no but now i feel bad that i haven't <laughs> no. same uh, the only charles dickens book i've actually picked up and physically read is a christmas carol <laughs> oh okay i've read uh i've read a tale of two cities how was that it was good <laughs> Yeah, it was a good book. Usually I just watch the film adaptation. <laughs> Charles, Charles Dickens, who knew? Good writer. <laughs> um, but I think about I think about things like that because I always think about like, oh, what would be the last movie I ever watched? And like, can I time that right? Can I? Like I always thought like, oh, Space Odyssey, 2001 A Space Odyssey would be a good final movie. Like I Die is the star child's born. But I can't time that out. So I watch it and then I'm like, well, now I'll just sit here and die <laughs> but no, anyway desmond has all, this all, all, all luck you're probably gonna end up watching something to the equivalent of uh the remake of dukes of hazard oh, yeah as your last yeah. movie it's like you don't have a choice they just left the tv on while you can't move and you're just like sean 
I'm Scott. <laughs> and then you die. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be my final words. That'll be, yeah, be careful what you put leave on in the home. Is that's what I'm saying for people. Uh, for all our listeners in the nursing homes. Like, um, but anyway, so he's saving this, this book. Um, and he comes out of the prison. Who's waiting for him? Our first time seeing with although we've seen the name we've seen the name widmore appear throughout the season Mm -hmm. but it's the first time seeing charles widmore and he's uh played by uh uh, alan dale he's great in this like it almost immediately i'm like i hate this guy so much well he's so also just an intimidating presence and he has like he and he's played this before in other roles, but he has like rich prick look to him, like written <laughs> all over him. And he's sitting in that car, and the the you know the well, window he, comes down. And... We we were talking about Game of Thrones earlier. He does kind of have like a Charles Dance gravitas to him. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's only because he's used very minimally in this episode. But like I I was very intimidated. The more he comes in, the more he gets intimidating. Like, you get why he is, like, he is, like, a CEO, rich, powerful person. And you're just like, I don't want to fuck with this guy. But I admire Desmond for being willing to fuck with this guy. Well, this... Even as he, like, backs away. Yeah. Well, this scene, like, tells us almost everything. This, This scene going into the next flashback scene tells us almost everything we need to know about Desmond as a character because we see that Widmore has intercepted all of the letters and he sent a lot of letters to to Penny and he basically is like listen it's done she's getting married I'm gonna give you a huge payoff to make sure you never speak to her again and you're going to take this payoff because you're a goddamn coward. Like, that's. Uh, sorry, Widmore. You can afford more than $42,000, Mr. Bigwig, like corporate giant not... guy. Well, 42,000 pounds. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I, didn't... I, I was thinking dollars. No, no, you're right. So pounds. it's closer to like 80K. I... <laughs> Still, though. I guess when you come out of jail with nothing, he figures he could lowball you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the very next scene in the flashback, we quickly realize he has not accepted this offer. And he is out there on his own. And immediately it's like, oh, that's the kind of principled guy Desmond is. Another reason for you to like him. Yeah. I mean, it's also the romantic in me. It's yes. like yeah. His story is so baked around love and like chasing this woman. I think that's part of the other reason that I, like, immediately clicked with his character. You know, they, their romance really is the, I mean, it's the star-crossed lovers of this series. And it it is so funny that it's really not introduced until the final episode of season two. <laughs> but, and, and, you know, and I mean, you talk about Sun and Jin being, like, the one true pair. OTP. Of 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 the show, but Desmond and Penny are, are. You could definitely argue that they are the OTP of this series, hands you down. You can't argue against them no, at you can't. all. 
Um, like you could argue against even like the best couples like Claire and Charlie. Like it's tough. You could argue against it. Jin and Son. You could make the argument that like they've both been terrible to each other. But they well they've had. I mean, granted, their story isn't realistic, but they've had like the realistic ups and downs of a relate. Like we've seen a like it's a marriage story. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but but you know. Desmond and Penny is the one with the romanticism. It's the hope. It's the and now he is going to win her back by and this feels like the plot of like a lot of eighties movies or something. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna beat Char- the beat that rich bastard at his own game. I'm gonna enter his race <laughs> and I'm gonna win a race around the world. That's absolutely an eighties movie. Yeah. And we're gonna save the Rex. Too. Yeah, they would have done it maybe then. They would have beaten the old bastard to save, like, their hometown. Like, the Goonies would have done it. That was his mistake. He didn't have a small local teen center at the risk while sailing around the world. That's why he shipwrecked. <laughs> so, Desmond, you know, not great planning for this race. He doesn't have a boat. Um, also not great planning. He's in like a Starbucks or whatever, or a coffee shop, and he doesn't have any money to buy coffee after he's ordered this coffee. But, um, he's like, will you take pounds? No. It's a coffee shop. He doesn't say that in fairness, but it's basically like, all I have are... (laughs) This is is America, dude. We don't even understand what your currency is. (laughs) Um, but a very nice woman buys him a cup of coffee and it is Libby. How do you feel about this, Megan? Conflicted. Because on the one hand, we we just to give you context, Zach, we had we've had extensive discussions about how we feel about killing off Anna Lucia and Libby. And Libby feels like a real way that the show kind of dropped the ball in a sense because there were weird circumstances behind the scenes going on at the time and also it seemed like they didn't necessarily want to kill her off because they incorporated her into flashbacks like these so and I I know that the writers had said that they wanted to explain the stuff that they set up with her and Hurley posthumously but I feel like after this, they don't bother. So I had mixed feelings seeing her in the scene. On the one hand, it's great to see her. On the other hand, I'm like, well, are you gonna are you gonna do the thing you said you were gonna do? And then they didn't. And it's it's it is a little frustrating because they introduce more of a backstory for her here. She had a sick husband who had this boat that he had named after her. Um and so it's like, oh, yeah, what's all that? And how did you then end up in a mental facility? And we never really do get a full grasp of all of that. I will agree with you on that. Um, but she's going to give Desmond that boat. She's going to do it because she wants him to win the race for love. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is one of those things like this show maybe overuses is the interconnectivity of everyone on the island. And it's just like. I guess you could like there's like a you argue that like does so does the show like imply then in this scene like when you look at the end of that Jacob like showed up and killed her husband <laughs> 
so that so he that would be a boat. So there was a boat for Desmond. Is that what we're doing here? <laughs> yeah, whatever he died from, like Jacob gave him cancer and made him die a slow, painful death. Further just so- evidence that Jacob is the bad guy. <laughs> He is the bad, like, that's the thing, like, yeah, he's, like, not, like, evil, but he's the bad guy on the show. Like, he's, he's trying, he's, he's not an absentee landlord god. Yeah, he, Jacob is Old Testament god. Like, there's no question that he's the Old Testament god who's, like, not above, like, fucking with people. He's like, yeah, I need you to kill your son so that you can prove that you have faith in me commit murder for me (laughs) so the next time in the flashback we see desmond it's a familiar scene because we see a doctor we know getting out of the car to run up these steps of the stadium this is uh recalling in the season premiere i i I know you just said that maybe the show overplays its hand a little bit with that but i'm not gonna lie it always puts a smile on my face like like a moment like you see jack getting out of the car then or like earlier in the season when we saw sawyer like walk past the car that analysia and and christian were in i like those and like especially when it's in australia closer to the flight yeah it makes more clicks it makes sense it was the but the convenience of libby being in the coffee shop and having a boat for him is just like someone was pulling these strings and if you really want to get into it it's dark (laughs) um but like it's just like the so the smaller ones i'm 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 cool with like and like jack and desmond running together that that i liked but like this such a key moment like how else does he get a boat to sail around the world yeah like what was the plan desmond where were you gonna make this money you've come to america where were you gonna somehow yeah um, he didn't sail to America, we know that much. <laughs> um, so, Desmond's getting ready to run, and he's gonna have a faithful conversation with Jack that we've already seen, but, right before he does, his beloved Penny shows up. Oh. And, uh, there's a great line that she has where she <laughs> says, um, cause he's like, how'd you find me? And she's like, well, with enough money and determination, you could find anyone, which is a great... Uh, kind of circles into the end of the episode sets that up very nicely um and basically there's like she's getting married she's like hey you didn't write but he did write he never he never I, i think it's interesting that he never points out i wrote you every day your father just prevented that yeah However often he wrote. Yeah, I kind of... That's the one thing I'd be like... I was like, dude, just tell her what happened. Like, there's no dishonor in being like, I wrote you, like, a hundred letters that your dad stole. Take it up with him. Also, I'm going to win this race by, like, and defeat him. I guess the argument, and it's not an argument I would make in reality. In fact, I would have been over at Penny's house immediately be like, you prick father. (laughs) I would have been five minutes after that conversation with Widmore. But I guess the argument is, like, it's her father and he's not going to fuck with that relationship more than he already is and i i I don't know well and there's also the idea that she's getting married and like he didn't seek her out immediately because he thought she was getting married he thought she had moved on and that is kind of 
but an awkward situation she, at the very least. But she clearly hasn't if she's using all her money and determination to find Desmond. Well, that's like you immediately know she dumped the other guy yeah. <laughs> and she's been like ready and waiting for Desmond all these years. And then when he didn't come back, she didn't be like, well, that, that's it. She was like, no, all of my money. I'm setting up a new Dharma initiative to like track things in the Arctic for some reason. Um, Desmond says, I'm going to win that race. I'm going to get my honor back. Cut to Desmond in a shipwreck <laughs> on that race. But he saves the Dickens book. <laughs> I, like, in my head, uh, like, as a kid, I always thought, like, a race around the world would be, like, the coolest thing ever. Like, around the world in 80 days style, in a hot air balloon or whatever. Like, in my head, I'm like, that's the coolest thing in the world. In reality, it's exactly what happens to Desmond. <laughs> Wait, are, I just that didn't even click in my brain until just now. Are there two different types of race around the world? People who crashed on this <laughs> island, one via boat and one via hot air balloon? Oh yeah. my god. Because that's where actual Henry Gale came from. Yeah. I guess we don't know that he was like doing the, the around the world race or anything. That was what Ben said. But it stands up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the only reason for you to be in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in a hot air balloon is if you're doing a round-the-world race. Because otherwise, what's your end game there? If you've made a bet with a rich, like, yeah. English aristocrat, I bet you I can make it around the world in 80 days. Yeah. That's exactly, I mean... <laughs> Twist, it turns out that Henry Gale was actually, like another Desmond who like would have stood up to electromagnetism and like had a problem with his lady's father and like was manipulated by Jacob but then he died there's some poor woman that Jacob killed her husband <laughs> so Henry Gale could get a hot air balloon that Henry Gale did in fact have a lady friend because he yep. the real Henry Gale wrote that letter. Yep. <laughs> so headcanon now. <laughs> so Desmond winds up a little better than Henry Gale because he's not dead, but he winds up on uh, uh, on uh, the rocky shores and a man in a hazmat suit comes and 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 picks him up and brings him to the hatch and it's. Uh, everyone's favorite character actor, Clancy Brown, Woo! playing uh, Kelvin Enman, who we last saw in Iraq with Saeed. We saw him as part of the CIA in Iraq. Uh, and he's, you know, asking a bunch of vague lost questions immediately, like, are you him? Are you him? And Desmond's like, huh? You know, because Desmond don't know. And this is where we get the first glimpse of where Desmond learned about the pushing of the button. And the saving of the world. Um, Clancy Brown is just so captivating in this role. I was watching this episode last night with my roommate, and I was in the middle of trying to explain something about Lost canonically to her, and then all of a sudden Clancy Brown starts going into a monologue, and I just stopped mid-sentence to allow him to act. <laughs> and then once the scene was done, I went back to explaining what I was initially explaining to her. And I was just like, God damn, Clancy Brown is captivating in this role. Now, see, this is the thing on a rewatch. 
and and you know I remember a lot of things and I don't remember a lot of things but I'm trying to remember what I thought of all these scenes in the hatch with Kelvin and Desmond back in I guess when did this air 2000 2005 well this this was probably 2006 and I'm trying to get back into that headspace because there's a lot of vague shit that now I know. Like when he mentions like Radinsky, well, I know who that is now. And I'm trying to think, and maybe you remember yourself, uh, uh, Zach, like where your headspace was at. Was is this was this satisfying? Was it mysterious? Like how did this all play to you back in the day? I don't remember how it played to me back in the day. Because that was 15 years ago. You know, it was so fucking old. <laughs> Jesus. That really, it re- this episode aired 14 years ago because it would have been 2006. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, I think it was, like, it was intriguing enough that, like, I felt like I was getting answers. Like, you, you, there's so much more, but you start, like, this guy was in the Dharma Initiative and, like, you know how Desmond got there and you're you're starting to see behind the curtain it's that classic lost thing of they give you like eight answers but they ask 10 more questions yeah because uh, they, they're like this is where that drawing came from the the, but... orient, the orient we know why the orient we know that someone cut up specifically the orientation video we still don't know to what end you know um we see that they're they're in a hazmat suit. We remember it said quarantine. Is there a real reason for that? I will I will say, I don't understand why Inman was like, just make sure you put it back behind the books. <laughs> like the like the orientation film. Like, make sure you hide it in this place where the two of us live <laughs> yeah. by ourselves. But it, there is a sense that he kept expecting somebody to show up. Yeah. When he's asking, yeah. are you him? And well, and he did refer to there being other people on the island as hostiles. Yes. So he's aware that there are others, or at least maybe Rousseau. He's aware that there's other people on the island, yet they still wear the hazmat suit. Like, Desmond's buying that. Everybody on the island's got a hazmat suit. I mean, Rousseau did... This ties into that, uh, again, that idea that, like, Rousseau said everybody got sick. And I guess if you do see somebody get sick and go crazy or something like that, you do get concerned about that. So you're like, okay, I'll just wear a hazmat suit when yeah. I go outside. Well, but he doesn't, Inman doesn't think that, right? I but don't that's, I think guess, so, but like it ties into seeds that have been planted that's throughout where, the series. So like far. the legend had been born and somehow in his time on the island he has come to know this. I mean, he's keeping secrets for Desmond. They're there years and he's keeping secrets from them unless he's also just per- putting on an act for Desmond because as we see there's a whole a big old hole in his hazmat suit and you know we find out that he is putting on a little bit of an act well, for Desmond well, as we time find, goes on yeah we find that out a little later uh but yeah we see him drawing the everyone on this island's just doing bits <laughs> we see- we see him drawing the invisible map. Or, like, kudos to you to be able to draw invisible for Blacklight. Um, and he talks about how uh, Radinsky started this, and they put a shotgun in his mouth. 
Yeah. Uh, I will have to point out, because I did make a big deal when we were talking about the episode Lockdown, I'm like, this never gets explained. It does get explained in this episode, so I will I will happily admit I was wrong in that regard. <laughs> and Radinsky would know where all the hatches are because he was a member of the Dharma Initiative, and we will see him in the 70s in Season 5. But do they explain why... He's doing it. Well, I think that's the thing. I think we, that's question number nine. <laughs> we end up meeting Radinsky later on, and he is, and we get the idea that he went a little unhinged, but we don't really, I think, get a clear explanation as to why he cuts up the orientation video, why he paints that. But I mean. There's not really much to do on the island. You got to do something to pass the time. <laughs> and it's been two years now um, that Desmond and Kelvin are there. A big thing that I think keeps them going that's talked to is they're both like army men. They're both men who have taken orders and understand like the chain of command. Uh, so they're still keeping up these orders well i also like to just um we talked a lot about yin and yang in this series and i like that these two characters are you know kind of inverses of one another like the the whole reason desmond got discharged he says in this episode is because he couldn't follow orders and the whole reason why um inman wanted to run away is because men continued to follow his orders is like i was ordered to do terrible things and people actually followed through on the, the terrible things that i ordered them to do so I, i'm running away from that so I, I don't know. It's interesting that they ended up in the same place for basically inverse reasons. Um, but then we get a very important uh, scene after this where Desmond wakes up to the sound of the alarm going off. He punches in the buttons. Where's Kelvin? He's like half in a bag underneath the hatch, basically, where he reveals there is a failsafe key that he has that you turn... And it involves the electromagnetism of this this spot. And I guess the idea is you turn the... You're trying to keep... Okay, this is a little confusing to me. Yeah, Sweet, sciencey magic. By pushing the button, they're keeping this electromagnetism at bay. This is a real thing. We will see it later in the episode, what happens when it is not at bay. But by turning the key, is it so, like is it releasing it all at one? Like, what is it doing to the electromagnetism by turning that failsafe key? I think it's, it's I, I, I think essentially it's and partially I'm like basing it on like what I've learned over the whole series, like because yeah. the electromagnetism is like made from the light that's under the island. Yes, and. So they've, like, tapped into it. They, like, oil drilled into it. And it will just, like, vent out. Or, like, they've collected... Maybe they've collected enough of it. And, Would, like, that's what's powering so much stuff. And that's the incident, by the way, that they yeah. refer to a, a, a few times in this episode. The incident that happens... It happens at the end of Season 5 in an episode called The Incident. In which we see when they kind of... When that stuff starts to leak. Let's put it that way. Yeah. 
and like they have to like their collection of it will either explode and take down the entire area and like have obviously it does have some like crazy effects because we know it like sends desmond like hurtling through time (laughs) yes um but so they have to vent it every so often so that it doesn't just boil over and take out the island i guess i guess like they're they were containing it from just affecting everyone in the area they were probably concerned that it would destroy the whole area but like and and you know they talk about like oh we're saving the world by doing this so i guess the idea is that they literally didn't know what would happen if they didn't have these controlled releases I, I don't know what well, the fail is supposed to do either. Well, I mean, it, it feels like it's a massive release of it, but, like, when it... Well, this is our only option at this point. Yeah. So we might as well try it and hope that that is... It's better to just let it all flow than, you know. Um, and continuing to build up and then destroy the planet, maybe. And, you know, this is the funny thing, and we'll get into this more later with Locke, but it's legit. Like, this is legit. <laughs> and that's one of the great jokes of kind of the season in a way. It's like, oh, are we really just just pushing this button for No, there's a legit, maybe it's not to save the world, but there's a legit reason to be doing this. Anyway, Desmond, you know, more time passes. Desmond shaves every day because he's still never going to let go. Kelvin's like, I'm going to go up to the surface. And Desmond's like, well, I want to go. And then Desmond sees... Spot on Desmond impersonation. Then Desmond sees that there is a tear in his suit. Mm. And he becomes suspicious. And he follows him. And he sees him take off the mask. And it's like, oh. And he continues to follow him. By the way, following him very close behind. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very relieved when... Kelvin is basically <laughs> like, come on, I knew you were following me. I was in the CIA. Because there's an overhead shot where they're walking <laughs> on those rocks. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. Where it's like, it feels like he's like a foot behind them. <laughs> um, a rare misstep in Jack Bender's direction, if you ask me. I think it was, I think it made sense. Desmond's not good at this. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But we see that Kelvin has repaired Desmond's boat, and he was going to leave. And then he's like, uh, come with me. Come with me. And Desmond's like, we got to push the button. And Kelvin's like, yeah, I just needed a sucker here to help save the world. But now come with me. And then they fight. They end up a fight. And Desmond accidentally kills him. Oh, yeah. Um. Aww. Oh, oh, geez. But they've been out there a while. I mean, to be fair, Inman was about to ditch him. Yeah. Oh, no. He did, I guess, offer to bring him along. He offered to bring him along, but it does feel kind of hollow because he was really just going to leave him there to push the button forever. Yeah, um, I was going to abandon you, but since you're here, come on, party boat. But no, like, what, what, the reason why it's upsetting is because Desmond didn't mean to. Like, he was just angry. And, yeah. And then, you know, his only companion for the last several years is now dead. And by, and, the, yeah. by the way, you got to push that button by yourself. That's, you're waking up a lot. <laughs> like, you don't know, no one, you never get a good night's sleep again. Um, I see why people go crazy, like Radinsky. 
Well, in theory, he had a partner so he could get a full night's yeah. sleep. But yeah, yeah Desmond. Oof. So, but what we what we only start to realize in this episode is how truncated this timeline actually is. So Desmond races back because he's got pushed that button, and it's been a while. And there's a system failure, and the electromagnetism is starting to go crazy. And he gets those numbers in, but not after a lot of this electromagnetism has been released. And he crashed the plane. The plane crashes. I mean, it's all part of Jacob's plan. But <laughs> the plane crashes because that button didn't get pushed at that time. And now, from that moment on, Desmond has only been alone as long as our heroes have been crashed on this island. And that, that's an interesting thing that we learn about this timeline. And also, that Desmond wasn't handling this being alone very well. Desmond was going to end it all. But then one night, John Locke's banging on that hatch. Aww. And it's like they saved each other. He flipped on that light which kind of saved John Locke in his moment of need after Boone died and Locke banging there gave Desmond a a sense of of hope although <laughs> I mean so now Desmond knows his people but I guess he doesn't know I guess it's a reminder of there's humanity out there, but not enough for him to go investigate. Well, it's a reminder that there are people in the world. And this is right after he finds the, the like, is this before or after he finds the, the letter from Penny? It's, it's right, he finds a letter from Penny where uh, she had left a note in, yeah, this is a big part I skipped over. Um, she had <laughs> left a note. Jumped ahead a little bit. She had left a note in the Charles Dickens book, which he never read in prison, and she had left a note to him saying, like, don't give up, I'll wait for you always, and then he loses his mind. He gets angry, and he starts tearing the place apart, like Charles Foster Kane style. <laughs> and and then that, that moment happens, yes. Uh same is like like I said I was watching this with my roommate last night who she only watches Lost when I turn it on to watch it for this podcast <laughs> um but during this moment she turns to me and she goes hey do do they end up together do they like and I was like oh Penny and Desmond I was like if I recall correctly before the whole heaven purgatory thing, they get to live happily ever after. And she was like, good! <laughs> and again, somebody not invested in this show at all was really invested and hoped and cared that Desmond got a happy ending. Because he's the best. <laughs> he is. I was, I, yeah, it's, it's true. There were few characters I was more invested in than Desmond as we were getting to the end game of the series because you want to see him with Penny. Because he just, like, everyone else is super flawed. Like, he has made mistakes. Not like he's perfect. But you you know that he is a good guy, yeah. like, at his core. Like, you could make arguments that, like, Jack is not necessarily a good guy. Oh, oh he's got major issues. <laughs> I make those arguments a lot of them. Like, it's funny. For a show that I unconditionally love, 
I've got a, a lot of problems with the person who's essentially the main character. Now, by the end of the series, I don't. Like, he overcomes some of those things. Yeah. But in these early years, I got a lot of jack. He has to, he has to, he has to have his own journey. His, like, he's learning curve. And, like, but it's, like, the two characters who are just, like, fundamentally good at all points are basically, like, Desmond and Hurley. <laughs> yeah. Hurley is just fundamentally a force for good on the show, which is why he becomes the caretaker of the island. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, however, I will also add to that list Rose and Bernard. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. are fundamentally just phenomenal people. We uh, we talked a lot about their adorable flashback episode in uh, this season and their meet-cute and how perfect it is. Uh, so, about 50 minutes into this podcast, let's get to the island. <laughs> no, look, we knew we were going to go along because it was a two-parter and we had a guest. But... Let's get to the island. <laughs> so the on the island, it begins where the last episode ends, where we see a boat. And, you know, Jack and Saeed and Sawyer, all the, the hunky men of the island, <laughs> rip their shirt. Well, Jack doesn't take his shirt I off. I take but back Sawyer, everything I've said. This is the best show in the world. <laughs> Sawyer certainly takes his shirt off. It was really funny that, like, they're like... <laughs> Gotta take my shirt off. And then Jack's like, no time. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a Jack way to go. But Sawyer wants to give the ladies a little something. Um, and we thank him for it. And they swim out to this boat. And they they get on the boat. And Jack's got that gun that I don't know if it would work after that swim. But I'll, I'll take it. I'm not a gun expert either. But that was my immediate thought too. I was like, did that work? I yeah. don't know. I mean, but they the, go over it in like at the beginning of the season. Like if the bullets are dry. Then yeah, they <laughs> yeah, they do. They do go over that. So they're there, and and they start getting shot at. Someone's in the the what is it? A hull? Is that what it's called? Below deck. Below deck. I mean that. I think that's correct. Anyway, I'm not a nautical man, <laughs> but they start. We don't know anything about guns. We don't know anything about boats. Hey, Saeed's not a nautical man either, we find out. But they, well, he's from the desert. So they start shooting. They start shooting at our, at our, at our boys there. And all of a sudden, we hear a familiar voice after he's run out of bullets, but not out of alcohol. And it's Desmond. Who did, so was that all the booze that Inman put on the boat like because Desmond just sort of takes off like immediately after we meet yeah. him he didn't take it's not like he had a box that he grabbed Inman well stocked that boat with booze let me tell you what you know what no I was about to say I'd need to drink after pushing that button for all those years but you know what no if I'm on that boat I'm not drinking. I'm alone at sea. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why Desmond. Maybe it was Desmond's booze to begin with. Maybe that's why Desmond crashed. <laughs> well, drunk if there's, sailing. If there's anything that Captain Ron, the movie, has taught me, is that drinking actually makes you better at driving a boat. <laughs> you know what's insane about like like? Do you need a license to drive a boat? Could I just drive a boat tomorrow? Uh, depends on the boat. Yeah. Okay. Like, you could take out, like, a four-person little speedboat with a driver's license, I think. Really? But you can't take out, like, a sailboat or a yacht. I feel like they shouldn't let me have any boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they sort of assume if you can handle a car, 
that gets a lot closer to other things, you theoretically can handle a boat. <laughs> Look, I'm not renting a boat anytime. I can't even swim. I don't know how to swim. Don't rent a boat. Don't rent a boat. Please don't rent a boat. Don't rent a sea doo Don't go skiing. Don't do anything. Learn how to swim. Damn it, Will. So now... Yeah, sea ev- levels are rising, man. <laughs> everybody's like, oh, everybody's buzzing because Desmond's back. All these people who never met Desmond before. <laughs> well, it's like, it's when you hear a story about somebody that you're like, there was a guy in yeah, this hatch? It is. And like, because so, everyone was supposed to, theoretically, everyone uh, in the in the camp was on rotation at one point at the hatch. That quickly went away, but yeah. Yeah. So they all went there at some point. So they were all like, this dude lived, there's a dude just living here? <laughs> so let's kind of break down the story because I feel like we got three ongoing stories. And let's stick with the one that Desmond is most involved in. And it has to do with the hatch um john Locke is going back to the hatch and he's basically telling echo don't push that button but we're dealing with the two most stubborn men probably and we're dealing with like echo a man who didn't talk for a long period of time like he's stuck to that he's gonna stick to his convictions and Locke is well he's john Locke. we know him well enough at this point to know uh, don't tell him what he can't do, and even if that can't is, I'm going to smash your your button-pushing computer. I, I did love how Echo basically reiterated a version of don't tell me what I can't do. Yeah, which is something that gets thrown back in Locke's face almost throughout the series, almost any time he forgets it. <laughs> um, and Locke's like, don't be a slave to this button. Uh and of course, he takes Echo's stick and then tries to smash the computer. But Echo is quick and grabs that stick and and lets Locke have it. I just, I loved seeing Echo grab it in midair. It's like, what did you think was going to happen, my dude? And yeah, and, and you know, he, he throws Locke out of that hatch. <laughs> I love Mr. Echo. He's another one of my favorite characters. Yeah. Um, He's just like, I don't, I, the fact that we never got a satisfying, like, conclusion to his story is one of, like, the low points on this show for me. And, and that's something I will not fault the writers about, because he wanted off the show. The Was actor. it him? I've heard different stories about what happened uh, with his character and his leaving the show. The story I heard back in the day, and God knows we were getting it through, like, the ABC publicity machine, so it might not be true, was that he, want he, didn't like living on Hawaii. He felt very claustrophobic about that, which is something I hear about people who move to Hawaii sometimes because you're so separated from everything else. And he wanted off of the show. That's what I've heard. Is it true? Who knows? I heard uh, that it was a drunk driving incident, but I don't know if that's accurate or not. But that's what also with uh, did all the tail section people. <laughs> Just go because that's what I I've always heard about. Everyone who worked on this show got a DUI at some point. I mean, by look, the sound you, of it. you're on Hawaii. There's not a ton to do. Yeah, the only one of this cast who seems like they truly and and granted, I'm, I mean, I haven't heard 
people say negative things about Hawaii. But the one who really lo- loved Hawaii was Daniel Day Kim. Yeah. Because he, like, opened up, like, a, I think, like, a restaurant. And then he did Hawaii Five O because he wanted to stay on Hawaii. Like, he, like, he became, like, Mr. Hawaii. I mean, I've, I've only ever visited Hawaii once when I was in college. And it was nice. Like, it was very humid. I don't think I could live there forever. But, like, I could live there for a couple of years, I think. I, I don't even know if I could live there a week. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm not a, when it comes to vacations, I'm not a sit-on-a-beach guy. I'm like discover a new city walk around go to museums see history i'm not a let's just spend a week sitting on this beach after like 10 minutes i'll be like okay where are we going next <laughs> dude an afternoon with a beach um and a mai tai that sounds like heaven to me yeah please i want to go there i've never been to hawaii but i want to go to there <laughs> specifically um so charlie then comes across Locke crying in the jungle and Locke has to put on an acting strong then for, for I mean, you know. Can we just talk about how sad an image that is, though? Just it is. John Locke crying by himself after getting smacked in the face. Like, this is this is a sad moment for this character. And then also kind of the indignity of Charlie being the one to find him. Charlie, the man who he beat up, you know, because Charlie was at a low point. And, and... Granted, acting insane. Um, <laughs> but also, like, he was acting insane. Why did you have to punch him? Clearly, he's having some issues. <laughs> he did take a baby, though. He did effectively steal a baby. Like, I think I think a little shaming, you know, they don't, they don't have, like, a don't have a prison system on this island they don't have like that's why you got to get Anna lucia to dig a hole yeah (laughs) but um but no the uh i mean sadly because libby's gone they don't have a psychologist on the island like you can't there's nobody there to like sit down and help you work through your mental issues at the time so and yeah the yeah we talked about it already it's it wasn't good that he beat him up but also it wasn't good that charlie took a baby (laughs) um don't steal babies that's one of my rules um but he tells him like oh you missed desmond's back everybody's all excited desmond's back so Locke goes to desmond that night and they they share a drink and (laughs) Locke basically tells desmond oh we found another hatch And we discovered that everything you were doing was for nothing. People just monitoring you. Desmond's like, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to have a good night's sleep. Then we're going to go fuck shit up, basically, tomorrow. (laughs) Now, here's an issue I have. A storytelling issue. I don't know if it's my man in black. Will it be a last-minute call? It probably will be. Desmond has seen the electromagnetism start to go crazy. So he knows that Button is doing something. Yeah. He knows this before he uh, uh, looks at the, the printout and is like, oh, I crashed your, your plane. He knows that it is actually doing something. The extent of it, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't think it saved the world. But... He's doing it's doing something, but he goes along with this 
oh, it's doing nothing idea with Locke. Is it just because Desmond is so dis... I mean, I guess the character excuse is Desmond's so disillusioned by everything. But it feels a little bit like a, a, a hole in the... in in, in what in what this character is experienced yeah i mean you don't he literally the, the little earth was shaking <laughs> around him and like i guess the revelation of another hatch that was watching him is a big like thing like feeds into what his he's probably been thinking for years about for two years he's been thinking like this might be all fake how do i know this is real yeah. and the revel like Oh, there were two people assigned to like monitor just the people in here. That feeds that other theory a lot, and then you start going like, "Well, what if it was like if you don't push the button, it starts a shaking simulation?" And like, yeah, that okay. You know what? That's fair. He and he has expressed early. He's already expressed the idea of he's thought about it could be fake, like you said. So yeah, this is just confirming that. And you're right. There could be simulators. I take it back. I take everything back. But that's, that's also, right. like, pushing it a little far, far into, like, the, like, let me make excuses for this. Yeah. Well, I remember at the when at the very beginning of this season when we were talking about it, he had that conversation with Jack where Jack was like, how do you know it's not all fake? And he's like, I kind of hope it is because that means the fate of the world doesn't rest on, like, the shoulders of one person. And, um... To kind of tie in with what Zach was saying, uh, at the time we were discussing that episode, I brought up an episode of the No Sleep podcast where one of their stories for one of their Christmas specials was very reminiscent of Desmond being in the hatch and pushing the button. At one point, this guy in a very similar situation decides, okay, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to push the equivalent of the button in this story. And then at that point... Um, he, he'll never know one way or another if it was real, but the entire facility starts to shake. And so he goes, oh, I can't let the world be destroyed. So he pushes the button and then everything goes away. And so the, the, what he comes to realize is he's like, oh my gosh, they make it seem like if you don't push this button, they make it seem like rescue is just just like a few moments away so you'll push the button because you'll never know if you're actually being rescued or or if it, or if it's fake and so it's like ah damn it and so yeah it's it's very it's very possible in Desmond's mind that it all could be part of an ex of that experiment Zach how long would you go before you stop pushing that button the fate of the world oh god i, I... Especially if I'm not, am I not getting sleep at this point? Like where I only get a hundred minutes of sleep at a time. You're getting very little sleep. Probably, I, you know, I probably would have a similar break as Desmond about forty days. Uh, I don't think I make it that far. <laughs> like I'd a month. Me, I give myself a week. Guys, I give myself a long afternoon. I could barely get up in time for this recording. <laughs> There's no way I could get up if, like, the fate of the world was resting on my shoulders. So Locke's got a plan. Um, Desmond knows how, and we saw this in the flashback, he knows how to bring those blast doors down. He knows how to have, like, a power outage that Locke has kind of experienced before. So... 
Desmond, you know, crossing those wires, gets that going. Echo hears, like, the overhead monitors counting down. He kind of wanders away to try to investigate it. And they bring the blast doors down, and they get into the, the room with the button. And Echo's on the other side, and he's like, we're going to wait this out. I'm not pushing the button. And Echo is panicking, because now this is Echo's purpose. Like, it doesn't, it's not enough for John Locke to just stop pressing the button himself and move on with his life. He has to actively prevent somebody else from doing the thing that he feels he was delusional about. Then Echo needs to get in there. So he goes to Charlie. Everybody's coming to Charlie. This is like kind of the Charlie... There's a small Charlie redemptive arc in this episode, uh, which, which pays off at the end where it's clear Claire is forgiving him but you know john gets help from from charlie now echo who kind of abandoned charlie is is crawling back to charlie for help and charlie brings echo to the leftover dynamite i do really really like the moment though where echo comes running up and he's like i forget like he's like there's a problem with the hatch or something like that and charlie's like oh i don't know that one but if you hum a few bars like i could probably pick it up (laughs) yeah so charlie's brings him dynamite and echo's gonna use dynamite to open up those blast doors although it doesn't terrible plan yeah because they're blast they're called blast doors for a reason like they're supposed to withstand a blast what does dynamite do it makes a blast and not to mention that how volatile that stuff is you're lucky it didn't blow up while you were transporting it down and charlie is realizing this is a bad plan and he's warning them inside like "Eh, he's gonna blow this door where Desmond's like, eh, don't worry. It's not going to work. But it's like, if even if the door's thick enough, like, you got to wonder, like, how thick are the walls? <laughs> yeah, but that's I, true. I mean, it's designed, I, that's like something I remember, I forget what movie or show it was that, like, was like, they have, like, a steel reinforced, like, mega blast door, and then somebody just drives the car through the wall. <laughs> and it's like, oops. Oh. <laughs> Um, but I'm sure it's secured. But, like, Echo's, Echo, see, Echo's gone nuts, too, and he doesn't even wait for Charlie to get out of that hallway. Well, they're all, like, they're zealots. Both him and Locke are zealots, and now they're zealots on the opposite sides of their button god. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's there's a very telling line, because so, there's a great moment where Echo has to convince Charlie of the the electro like there's something going on and like really violently like grabs him and and what was it? he ripped his belt off yeah. and he lets it go to the electromagnets to show him there's something and then there's an even worse moment where Desmond's like maybe we should let him in just because your friends are gonna blow themselves up and Locke's like they're not my friends oh. which is which is cold like, you know, even if they're not your friends, you're letting them blow themselves up. But that's how, like, these are desperate people, desperate to hold on to something. Well, John Locke needs to be right. And, uh, like, we, we've talked about it before. John Locke, in his lowest moments, is when he starts acting like Jack. He has to be right about yeah. this. Yes. They're the same person. <laughs> they just, it's the man of science, man of faith. 
But this is where John Locke loses his faith. Um, suffers for it. <laughs> and, you know, Desmond keeps asking Locke about the pearl, which was the hatch where the people were monitoring them. And Desmond comes up with this idea. And maybe this is him starting to think about things we see in his flashback with the electromagnetism. And comes up with the idea like, oh, what if you have it backwards? What if they're the ones being tested? That they, you know, writing everything in these notebooks and everything. But Locke is like, nope, no. It's like, let me look at the logs. And this is where he looks through all those logs that they had brought over. And he sees the system failure, which was the thing that was spread across the computer that was happening when the electromagnetism. And he's like, when did your plane crash? And they give him the date. And he's like, what? Oh. The date's September 22nd, which was when Lost aired. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I crashed your plane. This clearly matches up. And it makes logical sense as much as something like this can make logical sense. Because that's the realization that, like, there was no simulators. There was nothing, like, no tricks, like... This is hard evidence that when I didn't push the button in time, some real bad stuff happened. <clears throat> While this is all going on, of course, like you said before, Echo decides he's going to <laughs> set off that dynamite. And yeah, Charlie barely gets out of the way. Like he has to dodge a fireball. <laughs> Which, I'll be honest, I don't think is a thing you can do <laughs> when you're standing in a hallway. Well, he gets into that little crevice on yeah, the side. Kind of where where the um, uh, where you look where the the hatch door that they blew. Uh, if I'm if I've had my hatch geography correct, I don't really understand where Echo went. <laughs> but I think he went down a hall because there were other hallways. It was just yeah. like Charlie was like, I don't know where to go. I'm running away. Oh no. <laughs> So we've got them trying to get in. Some decent evidence that not pushing the button crashed the plane. So Locke reacts normally by <laughs> smashing the computer. So they can't push the button. Um, With a literal stick of faith. <laughs> and Desmond's like, oh, you, you killed us. Um, You've killed us, brother. <laughs> And all of a sudden, the countdown happens, and guess what? Shit goes crazy. <laughs> things are flying. The electromagnetic activity, things are flying all over. The I love the visual of the countdown clock, like, crumbling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're just like, this device is gone. There's no putting it back together. I, I do. This is basically the biggest oops moment that the show has had up to this point Locke uh you know Locke is clearly starting to get nervous here Desmond is like it's it's I gotta get that key this is real I gotta go turn this key we understand I mean Locke doesn't understand what he's doing but we understand because we have seen this key now it's been set up he's going under Echo uh gets to lock at this point uh because they we've opened the the doors because desmond's gotta go down into the fail safe 
and uh, it's a pretty harrowing scene. There's a lot. I mean, Charlie makes a comment about having to dodge like forks or stuff. Before, <laughs> but I mean, there is a lot of, of of stuff flying around. And Locke looks at Echo, and it's one of the saddest Locke's looked. Aww. And he's like, "I was wrong." And Desmond gets down to that key, and he turns it, and we go to white. Although later it's described as violet, but we'll. But <laughs> I, it always looked white to me. It's pretty white. It, yeah, it fades to white here, but it ends up turning the sky violet in a in a, yeah, in a few but moments. It, I don't know. Even that violet sky looked white to me, but maybe I've just got color issues. I don't know. I thought it was just pure white, what they showed us yeah. on screen. They uh, The only reason I feel they say, the only reason I question if it's white is because they say violet. Did you well, see violet? It's, it's violet when he, or it's white when he turns the key and it fades to white, and then we like hard cut to other places on the island. Um over where like Jack and Kate and Sawyer are and everything like that, it's bright white light. But over on the the beach side of things, where like Claire and everybody is, there is it's like white light and violet light. So almost ultra violet. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we might as well see what everyone else has been doing while this is going on. What have you guys been up to? Oh, yeah. Michael had some stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole other plot line to this episode. <laughs> um, as we know, Michael has been compromised. Saeed knows it. Jack's a little less quick on the uptake. I was, I really loved this moment where Saeed basically like lays out this plan. It's like, hey, we've got this boat. We're going to do this. I'm going to set this fire. I'm going to scout for like to, to see how many people are there, all this other stuff. And like as he's explaining it and Jack is like struggling to keep up, I'm like, why is Jack the leader again? That's another theme of this podcast. We talk about how much better a leader Saeed would actually be. Saeed or Kate? <laughs> I don't. I don't know that. That well, Kate's an interesting one because she was supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Saeed would have been. He's pretty emotional, and hit when he gets emotional, he tends to just jump to violence. Well, he does torture. He's very tactical and very very competent, though. I He's would a argue, good, like Secretary of Defense. <laughs> I might argue we wouldn't have gotten to some of those torturing places if he was in charge from the beginning. <laughs> um, but anyway, yes, yeah, Saeed lays out this plan that basically I'm going to take that boat. I'm going to sail it to where that rock formation that Michael had, you know, talked about. And we're going to get the jump on them. I'm going to scout it out. I'm going to give you a signal. You're going to come to it and we're going to attack together but we can't let michael know that we're on to him so we also can't let sawyer kate and hurley know because we can't take any chances uh let's just get it out of the way because it's a little less important uh the saeed stuff saeed can't sail desmond's you know not gonna sail <laughs> with him he's uh, like i'm good <laughs> but he's giving him the boat so he needs people who can sail and who can sail Jin. Jin has experience. But, uh, you know, he asks Sun to ask Jin. 
And basically the conclusion of this is Jin doesn't want to leave Sun. But Sun's like, you're not gonna. <laughs> and this is actually a big step in their relationship. That Sun is gonna come along. Both that Jin isn't really fighting it. That Jin was going to stay with her to begin with. It's kind of, it's a small part of the episode. But it's kind of a big culmination of where their storylines and their back and forth have been going. It's almost like a marriage is a partnership. Aww. Who would have thought? Not me. I'm not married. Um, uh, and then we get them. They, they go on the boat. We, have, we already kind of talked about the four-toed statue, which is the Egyptian go- goddess. I'm going to butcher the name of it. Tawerti. Tawerti. T-A-W-E-R-T-E. Know how to pronounce I, that, Zach? I feel like that was a valiant effort. <laughs> I had to see it written. T-A-W-E-R-T-E. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, an interesting thing about that statue, as we come to learn, is uh, Jacob lives there. I was going to say, what is she the goddess of? Well, I can't. <laughs> now you're asking too many questions. Hold on. I bet it's in here. Uh, yeah, guys, for you guys can't see because this is a podcast form. Uh, but the Zach has an entire encyclopedia uh, of Lost. And it's not just like going online. He like literally has a physical encyclopedia. It's really impressive, actually. It's, it's tape. It's paper. Remember paper? <laughs> um, uh, it's, it means great one. Oh, Jacob. Uh <laughs> Was considered a household deity because she was because she appealed to the average person rather than being a representative deity of a pharaoh. She embodied protection, birth, and fertility. Oh, I remember now, and was known as a fierce fighter who protected mother and child. Her implied ferocious nature came from her physical depiction, which was an amalgamation of three aggressive maternal creatures: a crocodile, a pregnant hippopotamus. And a lion. Uh, Tuar was also closely associated with the northern sky, which represented rain and darkness to Egyptians. Okay. Uh, she kept the skies free from evil and also stood as the guardian of the north, where she kept the unworthy out of her domain. Okay. All of that adds up pretty heavily. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least the, whatever their, their version of that Especially story. the pregnant hippopotamus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it felt like it was kind of insulting to somebody, but I don't know to who. That statue will eventually be destroyed. Megan, do you remember how it's destroyed? Time travel. No, do you remember? How Pirate ship, Megan. <laughs> Slave ship. Slave ship. Uh, I assumed it was an explosion that caused time travel, but nope. Okay, cool. Pirates are great. No, they, pirates. Th- they the ocean threw a boat at it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and now that's why you can't have kids on the island. Um, so anyway, eventually they get to the rock formation. Saeed, uh, Jin Sun, they, they get to shore. They're, they're, nobody's, the huts are all empty. Saeed's got the gun. The, the hatch that Michael had said that had been being guarded, which I think he legitimately thought there was probably something behind it. It's nothing. It's a fake. It's a fake out. There's nobody there. It's clearly a trap. Saeed sends up his smoke signal. That's it for them for the season. Um, so let's get to our, our hunting party. 
Let's call it that. Hunting party part two. Um, they've all ventured out into the jungle. The people that Michael was told he had to bring. Um, Hurley, interestingly, I like the moment where Hurley doesn't want to take a gun. Hurley's very big on, like, gun violence. Uh, he doesn't want to take the gun. Someone he loved was just shot. Aww. I get this. As someone who's never fired a gun, I would be uneasy if someone just hand me a gun and go traipse out into the jungle. <laughs> I, like, Hurley, again, why he eventually makes a good leader. This makes sense to me. Um, Kate, though, brings up a, another fact. I feel like this episode, there is a lot of people ignoring things that we have established. Kate brings up that the whole thing with the others is that they're performative. That she knows for a fact they they wear fake beards because she's seen the fake beards that they wear costumes she's seen the costumes and michael of course does his michael i'm protesting way too much clearly this is a trap thing we talked about that a lot in the last episode um but clearly like when she says all the things about him the fact that like jack michael is lying or to an extent lying Sawyer why doesn't Sawyer question this more why doesn't Hurley question this I know Jack is trying to keep a secret but when Kate's like hey this probably is performative Michael and he's like no they eat fish they eat dried fish (laughs) I think Sawyer probably is just like let's just get the show on the road guys who cares who they are yeah he's just looking to kill people now yeah well I also think Sawyer is just like a like Look, these people are not on our side. Whatever the truth is, we're, it's the same result to him. <clears throat> and then they are traipsing through the jungle. <laughs> and we see another one of Russo's traps. And Sawyer's going to go pick up this old doll. I have a question. Why is everybody picking up old dolls? Why is everybody picking up jungle garbage? Uh, <laughs> I th- well, it's like, you're curious. You don't... It, you don't see it every day. You're like, what's also the last time somebody picked up a little random statue? There was heroin in it. So, oh, that's true. Oh, there could be heroin in this doll. <laughs> um, or I, more record. You never know. It could have like cocaine in it. <laughs> but <laughs> it gets the nice little moment where they're talking about like, oh, like you. It was literally a net you were caught in. I thought in. that was a euphemism. Yeah. <laughs> And you um, see Sawyer be like, oh, I was such a fool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, be still my beating heart. It's like, it's kind of cute. Like, look, I was always more uh, uh, Kate and Jack over Sawyer and, or, uh, Sawyer and Kate. I forget, I forget what their ship names were. I, I have no they idea. Have, did they fall before we really gave ship I names? I think so. I don't think we were doing ship names as much. Man. That feels like so long ago. Shipping is such a central part of my life now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, I was way—I was always much more heavily in favor of Kate and Jack. I was always shipping Sawyer with whoever Sawyer wanted to be with. That's just me. Uh, But 
you Ace, what my point is Sawyer here is like very cute in his like oh I thought my girlfriend hooked up with some other dude and now I found out that she didn't I'm flying high today <laughs> I guess in the, skipping through the jungle <laughs> in the course of the series I guess Sawyer gets with the most women right I don't have a problem with this <laughs> yeah cause it's it, gotta be him he was with Ana Lucia then he is with Kate at one point yeah and then uh, eventually um, Juliet. Juliet. Um, I mean, we see him in flashbacks hook up yeah. with enough different women. Um, so, yeah, Sawyer might be the horniest one on the island. Hate the game, not the player. <laughs> <laughs> so then shortly after this doll incident, we get the Hurley Bird, which we've discussed. Oh, my which, God. Which is a giant bird that flies overhead. A genetically modified bird that for some reason just happened to sound like it's saying Hurley. Hurley. <laughs> Hurley's like, that bird saying my name? I hate the Hurley bird, but I love Will's impression of the Hurley bird. Of uh, all the animals that they like that they brought into the island, that's the one where I'm just like, that's... You didn't know what you were doing with that. <laughs> um, the key moment of this scene, though, is the fact that M- Michael goes to shoot at this bird and his gun isn't loaded. And Jack's like, oh, my bad. Must have forgot to load your gun. Whoopsie doodle. And at this point, Michael's got to know Jack's thinking something. <laughs> oh, yeah. He knows he's caught. He just doesn't have any other move. Yeah. Like, What's he gonna do? Shoot them? Like, even when <laughs> he has bullets, like he needs to get them back alive. Like nothing has changed for him. So then we have the moment of Kate spots that there are some others. Yeah. Across like the the river bank or whatever you want to call it, and you know her and Sawyer go to to start shooting at him, take him out. And they hit one, but one escapes. And so I was like, we got to chase that guy down and kill him. Otherwise, they'll know we're coming. And Jack then is like, ah, they already know. Because <laughs> Michael betrayed us. And this is a really upsetting scene because it's the moment where, you know, Hurley has to, he comes to the realization of like, oh my God, you killed... A woman I, 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 I cared about. You killed Anna and Libby. And he's like, I didn't have time. Libby was a mistake. He's like, but you would have killed her anyway. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that I'm so glad is brought up. Because every time you see the in the last couple episodes, the previously on Lost, where, where you see him killing her again, it's like, yeah, you would have had to kill her. You would have had no choice because she knew what you did. Um, and Hurley brings, and I love that Hurley brings that point up. And I love that Hurley then is like, I'm going home. I'm going back to the beach. But then Jack's like, no, 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 no. We, I got a plan. You think I would have brought you out here if I didn't have a plan? Yeah, I actually do. Yeah, well, your plan sucks, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the guy that, like, ran after Ethan with zero plan of, <laughs> zero idea what you were doing, and you just ran out into the jungle like a crazy person. Yes, I think you'd bring me out here without a plan. <laughs> um... Then we come across, as they continue through the jungle, I, I like this little moment because it features my favorite thing, 
um, we see where the pneumatic tube ends. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I guess the Dharma Initiative just like had a guy out there to go pick him up. Do we see that I'm at some point in the flashback? I don't remember. Maybe we. Maybe it's mentioned in season five when we're really with the Dharma Initiative, but. I assume, I assume since it was long abandoned at a certain point, they just left people in the pearl because that's what they do. They just leave people around. Well, there are no bodies down there, so they must have gotten them out at some point. Yeah. I guess maybe they just didn't care enough. Yeah. I guess we don't really venture out into the... Be- like, there had to be other rooms of the pearl that we didn't look at. Right? Because they're living down there. They are living down there. All we saw were two chairs with butt warmers. Yeah, so there has to be like a room with a kitchen or a bed. Yeah, so maybe they, maybe we just didn't go see the dead bodies. <laughs> the um, but as everyone who listens to this know, I've been on a big kick with the pneumatic tubes. <laughs> I don't know why we don't have more pneumatic tubes in society. Bring back pneumatic tubes. They're I, the way of the future. I gave a hearty laugh when I saw. I was like, look, <laughs> look, that's where the pneumatic tubes go. We even see the little drawing of the map that they that lock and echo when they were down there that they put in the tube and saw it get sucked up and that was a cool touch i will say how the hell did the wind on this <laughs> island not take the piece of paper away yeah that's true hey, it's in there with the tubes <laughs> um so then they see this lines up with the time where saeed put the black smoke and the black smoke is very far away. And they realize Michael's not bringing them anywhere near to where they thought they were going. Uh, and, of course, at that point, the others make their move. And they attack them. Uh, they shoot them a little darts to knock them out. They look like they're electric darts. Oh, yeah, you're right. They were electric. It was They were like taser darts? <laughs> Which I guess like is a thing, but also I think was the first, it's our first really sign that like these are not, like yeah, they're still dressed like they're like fishermen hobos, but they're not. These are yeah. advanced people. Like they didn't just have poison, they had electric darts. Um, and the, they all get knocked out, they all get brought to the dock. And on the dock, uh, they're all lined up except for Michael, who's like, you know, cut this deal. They're all lined up, and, and you know, our good friend Mr. Friendly comes out, Tom, and he's there, and Kate's like, Cut the crap! Like, you're weird, freak. So he does, like, adages anyway, takes it off. And they're all lined up there. What will become of our heroes? Well, we're going to find out when. Who shows up on a boat? Ben! ben. <laughs> I love that. Because this is our first, this is a really our first time meeting Ben Linus. Yes. And he is so fucking cold. <laughs> I love Michael Emerson. The way he just walks down the dock, and it's, you're absolutely right. It's our first time meeting Ben because the body language is so different than when he was, even when he was like being manipulative in the hatch, his body language now is so much stronger and direct, and he walks down that dock. This was 
fucking serial killer, Ben. Like, yeah. And and the first thing he does is turn to Mr. Friendly and goes, where's your beard? And this is when you realize he is the one that's forcing them to, like, he's like an overly committed community theater director yeah. that's <laughs> forcing everybody to do these bits, basically. Keep up appearances. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say this also about Ben. He keeps his word to Michael. You know, he has Walt for him. He gives him a boat. He gives him a setting, a course setting, to to go that will get him home. It does work. I I do want to point out that, like, even though I know what becomes of Michael later on, even though I knew that he and Walt escape in this moment... I'm not gonna lie. The just in terms of how effective Michael Emerson's performance is, when he said Bon Voyage Michael, I totally thought someone was gonna shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, they do also um allude to like again, like, oh Walt's more than we can handle because of Walt. I mean, look, that's that's the greatest unanswered mystery of the show. And again, that has a lot that has as much to do with they they cast a kid who got big fast. <laughs> like, you know, they didn't cast like a not to be insensitive or like a like an Emmanuel Lewis or Gary Coleman kid. Like they cast like a kid who grew up fast. And yeah, it's the freaky thing when you finally do catch up to him, season you're like, Whoa <laughs> There's a great he line so I, I can't remember what season it is, but he comes as a vision to Locke and Locke's like and he's like, Walt was big. And so he goes, like a giant? <laughs> that's a great line. You know, I can't remember if that's season three or four, but that that happens eventually. Because uh, uh, what season was the the strike? Because it got delayed by the writer's strike, if I remember correctly. I think that was beginning of season three. Yeah. I think that's, so that's... one of the reasons why like the mm, whole polar bear thing got struck. Because the writer's strike was the end of 07 into 08. So I think that might be season four. Okay. Well, we'll look into it when, when we get to that point. For uh, sure. But it's just like more time for him to keep growing up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, no, it's like, especially when you get through to the end, it's like they never really tell us what the, what was Walt's deal. <laughs> he was just special. We keep talking about him being special, uh, even through the epilogue. However, that is the thing, I, like, I'll take this opportunity to uh, pitch it out into the world. Uh, I have ideas for a lost comic book series. Uh, should we ever want to do one, uh, feel free to reach out to me, ABC. <laughs> This thing is going to get rebooted at some point. Not rebooted, but, like, there's going to be, like, lost again at some point, right? Like, uh, They've talked about, like, so a couple of the creators have talked about it at different points where they've said, like, I think Lindelof has said he's open to somebody continuing the story. He doesn't want to, but fair. he's open to somebody who has a really good idea. Who has a clear vision of where to go. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, But here's the thing, like, I don't think you do, uh, if you're going to do another TV show, you don't have the characters involved. Uh, maybe Jorge Garcia. I was gonna say, like, I, well, the two people I would think would be him and maybe, uh, maybe, maybe Walt. Well, that's what I think the comic book, a comic book would be, would be like taking their story and like doing the like the right after the show, like picking up like where they go. But then I would love to see a completely fresh batch of like whatever. I don't know. 
let Kate be the protagonist this time. <laughs> um, I always, like get no, we we no, saw their no. story. That's the whole. No, point. I'm saying like let let a Kate or a Kate type be the protagonist. Because she was supposed to be, and then they didn't know what to do with her when they decided not to make her the protagonist anymore. Yeah. Um, well, but- look, yeah. Megan, you can't expect these men to be able to write for a woman <laughs> as the lead of a show. The irony that Lindelof <laughs> would eventually go on to create some amazing know, female characters down the road. <laughs> I'm not going to dignify that with no, you know, you know, yeah. You know I'm joking. You know I'm being Um, sarcastic. I did. I did. Like while I was watching this, though, one the the reunion between Walt and Michael is very heartfelt. Like um, I I told you at the end of the last episode when Walt said "I love you," like I I welled up. So seeing them reunited was really nice. That being said, when they start driving off, I was like, and you know, Walt is looking out at their friends. I was like, hey Walt, hey Walt, you want to use some of your powers? Maybe summon a polar bear. Do well, something you know to help it's, your friends. Anything. That scene when Michael goes off because Michael knows he's a piece of shit right now, and he goes off, but he's like, quote unquote, won. Like he's gotten what he wanted this whole season, but he's a he's a piece of shit. But Ben, when he asks him like, "Who are you guys?" When Ben's like, "We're the good guys, Michael," Whoa. which is also because I do, which be- is chilling. But I do believe the others think they are good because they are more good than the forces, I guess, of Charles Widmore, who will come at some point, well, that's you know, like to the, exploit the island. Yeah, I mean, they are. Like, they are not... I mean, we're all, like, the hero of our own story thing. And it's, I, think that's, I think that's especially true of Ben, uh, more than anyone on this island, like, of anyone, is, like, you're the hero of your own story. And, like, when you get eventually in season, like three and four like the uh the like from their perspective you're like yeah they are kind of the good guys yeah there are there are some things that you come around on the others and have an understanding of them um they let hurley go though i guess like the tell the tale <laughs> you know um while this is happening it's the same thing mr echo did tell them that mr echo let you it's a major Um, power move (laughs) while this is happening there is the moment where the sky turns white or violet or whatever whatever color it turns and there's um, that happens simultaneously we kind of see everybody simultaneously when it happened the others on the dock seem a little non-pulsed yeah it's like huh well back to what we were doing (laughs) Um, you know we do see Claire and people kind of freaking out on the beach. There's a moment where Bernard has to like get her out of the way because a door is coming <laughs> down that says quarantine, the hatch door. And we know there's been some, what, something shit went up in the air, which we'll have a better understanding of next season. Um, let me just end, wrap this, this up. There's a little bit of like an epilogue to this episode. Charlie comes back to the beach. We has a nice moment with Claire where he kind of, but I don't think he quite understands what has happened. And he's being a little coy, but clearly something crazy has happened. And Claire and him share a kiss, and it's a nice little moment. And then we cut to Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> and there are two guys, I believe they're Portuguese. And they have been there at some station, a very Dharma-esque type station, where these two guys are held up. 
and they are monitoring for electromagnetism, surges of electromagnetism, and they get this alert. And they call someone. The person who answers is Penny. And they say that they've found it. And then... I had to wait a whole summer. Oh! <laughs> um, so that's the two-part season finale. Uh, I remember when this ended. Like I said, it was the first confirmation that we are not... The world isn't just the island. There's a world outside of it. And much like the premiere of season two, the premiere of season three was one of those, oh, they found a way to change everything again. And also introduced a new character who me and Megan apparently will fight about a lot, Juliet, a character that I deeply love, and Megan has at best deep indifference towards? Uh, what? Now, here's the thing. I became less invested uh, in this show as it went on, but I was still deeply invested in uh, season three. And in season three, Juliet was doing a lot of like, I know something you don't know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, There's a lot of duplicity there. So I didn't like her and I carried that through to the end of the series. But here's the thing. I, because we, we debated a lot about Anna Lucia this past season, I am keeping an open mind about Juliet because I I look back on this show and I was like, you know what? I think I was being way too harsh on her as a character the first time around because I was just so sick and tired of all the love triangle stuff and everything like that. (laughs) So, and... And, like, also, she was a character that was introduced after Anna Lucia was killed off. And I didn't like that Anna Lucia was killed off. So I was was kind of bringing that baggage into it, too. So I'm keeping an open mind about Juliet. I'm sure I will fall in love with her this time around. I thought she was... I think she's a really interesting character. Um, I really enjoyed her on the show. And I (laughs) love... And, like... We got rid of the love triangle once she got there because it becomes my favorite thing, the love rhombus. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Zach, as you know, we always like to end because I'm so positive about the show and she's so negative. (laughs) Although not all that negative. Um, We always try to come up with a, a Jacob and a man in black, a good thing and a bad thing. We each have to find one. Um, I'm gonna, for my Man in Black, I am gonna stick with, I do think there are some characters having knowledge that they are just not, like, like that they are just not using to any sort of advantage. Uh, I think Kate should be pushing hard about, harder about the performativeness of the others. I think Desmond should be pushing harder about the fact that he's seen shit go down in that hatch. Um, so that would be... My man in black, if I have to find one. Megan, what would be yours? I'm very, very tempted to say the Hurley bird. That's a fair one. (laughs) Hurley! (laughs) But it's given me that wonderful impression. So, um, it's actually more of my biggest critique of season two as a whole. It's not so much a... I have an issue with season two in that sometimes characters seem to act a certain way, not because it's in character for them to do so, but because it's important for the plot to get them to a certain point in time and place. And I don't know. I find that to be a little organic or not organic. It's a little inorganic and it can feel a little contrived. 
That being said, that's not really so much an issue in this episode as a whole. That's more of like me pointing to previous episodes mm-hmm. in in the season. Um, so because yeah. that's not really a, an aspect of this episode, I'll go ahead and say the early Early. Zach, what's yours? Uh, I, I guess for my man in black, it would definitely be the like the moment where like Desmond doesn't be like, no, when I didn't push the button, it almost it felt like the earth was going to blow up uh, and doesn't like make sure Locke knows this information because it feels important. Yeah. Um, but we've we've uh, we've uh, no prize uh, fixed that, I yeah. guess. here. Uh, but no, my, I mean, my Jacob moment is just like. Desmond and Penny. The romanticism of that. The romantic. And if I had to narrow it down to like one moment, like I got teary even rewatching it, like when he's reading the letter from her. Yeah. How she'll always be there. I was like, it's so beautiful. (laughs) I love them so much. Megan, what would your Jacob be? Honestly, same moment. The moment he opens up the book and sees the letter fall out. Like that. Oh, ugh. I, not not to, to pick the exact same thing as Zach, but, like, yeah, it's just so good. I will go with, uh, I made a crack about one bit of direction <laughs> in this episode, but <clears throat> just to be a little different also. I think the scene when things are, the electromagnetism's going insane and everything's flying around, I think it's a very well put together action sequence. I think it is, it's, it's scary and confusing in the way that all the characters are scared and confused. I think it's a good piece of filmmaking. Yeah, because Lost, especially I think in these early episodes, is is always more character-driven. Like, action set pieces are not really what this show is known for, yeah. with the exception of, like, the pilot and um, with the, the plane crash and everything like that. So when an action set piece does happen, it's like, oh, oh snap, stuff's happening. <laughs> So, Megan, that's two seasons in the books for us. <laughs> Got four more to go. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm liking the show so far. Maybe, maybe I'll be singing a different tune by the time we get to the end. Um, Zach, before we go, where can the people find you? Uh, you guys can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at ThatZachWilson. Uh, I will always, if you say something about me about, to me about Lost, I will always answer back. <laughs> always. Uh, but also, if you want more absurdity, I host a show that Megan's been a guest on a couple times called Ships in the Night, which is a shipping podcast where we take characters from different universes and we, like, make them kiss and see what would happen. <laughs> I uh, like it. <laughs> you know, well, it, it's a weird time. Uh, Luigi and Supergirl was last our last episode. It makes sense if you think about it. Ships in the Night. <laughs> Megan. Uh, it is it is a really fun time, guys. If you haven't listened to it already, go. It's so much fun. Um, I'm Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams where me and my co-hosts talk about horror things. And I'm a member of Rooster Team Radio where me and my cohorts talk about Rooster Teeth-related shows. Uh, the final episode of Ruby Redux for Volume 7 should be dropping any second now. By the time this goes up, it will probably have been uploaded so guys check that out this last volume of ruby was super super good uh so definitely join our discussion about it it's great and uh yeah that's it for me for now and you can follow me on twitter at the real will link 
Uh, and you can buy my book, Crazy About Kurt, uh, on Amazon. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good novel. Read it. You'll like it. You, if, especially if you grew up in the 90s. Even if you didn't, you'll like it. Buy it. Uh, so, Zach, thank you once again for coming on. We'll have to have you back next thank season. Thank you for having me. And until next time, see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me, as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh <laughs> Uh, uh, off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will mm-hmm. he? I don't know. Spoiler alert. Uh, not as frequently as usual. <laughs> but you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, these are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. We're on the same network. <laughs> so yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us. Might as well give us a rating. <laughs> you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>